Grace, mercy, and peace are yours this day from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, most people are really only truly interested in religion about twice in their lives. Once as a little child in wonder. And we really want to do our best to keep that one going as long as possible. Like just prolong that sense of joy down in the heart. Because that one's easier. So we talk a lot about miracles and, you know, Jesus who loves baby sheep, playing with kids and cute stuff like that. It's just a lot easier than the other time. Because the other time, most people are truly interested in religion as, as a grown-up. After hardship, for two questions. Why would God ever tell me no? How do I get him to change his mind? We usually end up trying to shut that one down pretty quick. It's not because we don't care. It's because we don't know either. But as a consequence... Most people defined the church to be a really quiet place the one time they needed to speak the loudest. And so after coming up empty on both really important questions, they call the whole religious experience wildly unsuccessful and wander off. That's not all that uncommon. Most of us have met this woman begging before God in one way or another. Some of us have been where she is. She goes by a lot of names, but the pattern's almost always the exact same. She's that person who seems like she does absolutely everything right, but nothing goes her way anyway. I mean, she prays, she rows right to Jesus, goes to church, tries to be a good person, a whole bit. But still, it's her loved one who's still sick, suffering. I'll bust it up and alone. And most of us really don't know what to say to that, because what advice is there, really? I mean, what comfort is there in a God who says no to people? This woman's daughter is oppressed by a demon. That, that's bad. Like, objectively, no one's disagreeing here. That, that's bad. So she goes and does all the right things. She goes to the Jesus who casts out demons, who says he's there to conquer demons. And she prays, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And he ignores her. Doesn't answer her a word. It stretches out until the disciples get uncomfortable. Listen, Jesus, like, if you're not going to help her, could you at least get her out of here? Because, like, we don't know what to say, and it's hard to feel the praise song when there's somebody lamenting right next to you. So, could you, you know, got, got stuff to do? But she comes and kneels before him and really prays, just right from the very bottom of her heart, Lord, help me. No. This food is for Israel, not little dogs. Like, there is not that whole childlike faith here going on. It's hard to have that conversation. We are long past that wonder stage. There is no gentle shepherd the flashy miracle goes unperformed just a little bit too long to excuse it as dramatic effect. So it's time for those two big questions. Why would God ever tell this lady no? And how'd she get him to change his mind so that I can do it too? Except most of our problems don't get solved in like eight Bible verses. 
Sometimes God just says no. And I have taken the easy way out on that for a long time. Like, you know, what dad doesn't say no to his kids sometimes? Like, at least what good one. No ice cream, because that'll spoil your dinner. See, no isn't about being mean, it's about being good. Except I can't really get my head around the phrase, no, I won't cure your cancer, because that would spoil your dinner. It's just, it's a little less cute. But still, sometimes God says no to the people begging him. And that no is enough to make us question God's very character, who he is, what he cares about. That's the thing that makes the disciples so uncomfortable. That despite our temptation to want to call Jesus a lot of things for how he treats this woman, she only wants to call him Lord. See, we only really want to deal with God according to our experiences. But she only wants to remember his promises. Son of David, have mercy. Lord, help. See, these are names taught to her by God. They make promises about who he is, about what he'll do. So she doesn't see a chance to argue her way into what she wants. She sees the son of David. She sees God in the flesh. And if he is there, it is for a purpose, even if she doesn't understand it, even if she hates it. He is here when he could be absolutely anywhere else. And so if he is here, it's for what he promised to do. The son of David is supposed to save. So she will not let this rest on her experience. Because if you will let this rest on your experience, when you need God the most, he will always feel the farthest away. She will not even let this rest on who she is. That doesn't matter. This is about who Jesus is. Canaanite? I mean, true. Little dog compared to God? I mean, fine, I guess that's not wrong. But the thing is, no matter who she is, Jesus is still the son of David. And the son of David has mercy on sinners. That's what faith is at the end of the day. It is seeing the goodness of God through his word, even in the face of what we see in this wife. It is trust in his word, both about what it says about us as not being enough, but also about him as being the savior for everyone who cannot fix what is wrong. Faith is daring to beg from God because we actually trust him when he promised to help. Faith is holding on to his promises because he hasn't always gotten things done the way that I would want, but he still hasn't broken a promise yet. Faith actually wrestles with God. It grabs on and it will not let go because here's the thing, if God is actually here to wrestle with, it's because he will not stand back from our problems and our sins. The God who sits up in heaven and promises heaven to the well-behaved, that's a God you can be bitter towards. I would be too. You can't wrestle with somebody who won't be near you in the first place. And if God won't come near to us when we actually need him and will only draw us to himself after we don't need him anymore, that's plenty of reason to be upset. But in this woman's time of need, there sits her God. He is not far off. He comes down into this life for that purpose. He takes on human flesh for this reason. He is not far away. He is not in heaven as a reward for the well-behaved. He is the God who draws near to wrestle with. He is the God who sits at the table that in her hour of need, she wouldn't pray to a God far off, but to one who sits right in front of her. And so she grabs on and does not let go. This is what faith is, and faith sees a whole lot of yes, even hidden inside of God's no, because it starts with the promise that God is good. And so it concludes that if God is near, he's here to work good, even if I don't understand it. 
Faith is willing to stop asking why and how long enough to actually consider who. And that's important. Because there are certain things in this life that I'm just, for the life of me, not going to understand. You can explain it to me all you want, but I will not do calculus for you. That's why I have to be a pastor. But this is about who. This is about who God is. It's a question of his being, not whether or not you can always understand what he's up to. Because if you can perfectly understand what the creator of the universe is up to, he's not a very impressive God. This is still a question of character. This is a question of who. So let go of why. Because ultimately the action must follow the being anyway. If God is good, then the things that he does might be good too. Even when everything looks like this. It lets us be free to actually talk about things how they are, not just how we wish they would be. There's a lot of evil down here. A lot of it's our fault. Some of it we can put on demons, I guess. None of it's God's fault, but still. He makes it his to bear. He wades down into the midst of it, just to be near you, to work good inside of it, just for you. The stories of the wondrous miracles are great. The good shepherd who carries the little children is fantastic. But if you actually want to teach our religion, it can really only be the cross. The miracles were great for some people, but if you are still missing yours, the cross is for you. The miracles are wonderful. But if Jesus only came into this world to heal like 20 people and then leave again, that leaves all the rest of us without much hope. And so when our Lord came into this world, it was not just to heal a select few, but to die for all of us. It was to draw near to those in need who cannot for the life of us save ourselves and help, not with gentle imagery, but with a sacrifice to save. This is who your God is. This is his character. He is the God who does not stand back from our sins, from our pains, from our oppressions, from our evils. He is the God who rushes in to bear them for you, to bleed and die for you, to forgive you your sins, to conquer your death, to give you a life that death itself could not take away. And here, even when it is not gentle, it is good. This, among all evil and sin and suffering and death, this is your God. He fulfills his promise to save. He died so that the power of the demons would come undone and this poor woman's daughter would be free from her curse. He died so that the sinners would be forgiven, so that every awful name that we can rightly be called would be left behind where God buries it in a tomb. He died so that every single unanswered prayer would be overwhelmed by an all-merciful who. This is who your God is, the one who dies that you would live. Jesus died for you so that you would find rescue, help, and even hope even in the middle of the crosses of this life. So dare to wrestle with God. Hear his promise and dare to actually expect him to be here like he said he would. Hold on to his promise in the face of everything that goes wrong in this life. Because even when we can't for the life of us understand why, he still tells us who. Yours is the son of David who has mercy on sinners. That's just who he is. Even when he's saying no, he's working towards a larger yes. Hold God to his promises. Actually expect good from him. He dares you to in these words because they're already fulfilled. From the cross he cries to you, it is finished. Christ has been crucified for you. You are baptized, a child of the Father. Even now, your God is not far away. He is here on that altar in body and blood because God will not be away from us in our time of need. If all we can do is gather around once a week and talk about how great heaven's going to be, church should be empty. But if God actually shows up here in a meaningful way, we will be here too because when everything falls apart, God parks himself there for you in body and in blood, forgiveness and life, strength to meet the days ahead. Here is your 
God, and if he is here, he is here for your good. So kneel here and wrestle with him. Actually lay all your problems out there and say, Lord, help. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He promised to. He does. He will. Even in that word, no. Look at that altar and ask, is any no that I've ever prayed enough to chase God away from here where he has promised to be? Because if he is life in the face of my death, then whatever evil is going on, and whoever you are, your God is still the son of David. And the son of David has mercy on sinners. And the son of David has mercy on you. In the name of Jesus, amen.